Well, open with me in your copy of the Word of God to the book of 1 Peter. We'll be in chapter 2 this morning, verses 4 through 11. I do bring you greetings from Greenville, South Carolina and Heritage Bible Church there. We get visits from Desert Springs Church members from time to time. Um, Reagan and Laura Hurley, who are part of this church, now are a part of our church. Maybe some of you will move to Greenville. There's a lot more than an invitation it takes to do that, so don't blame me, uh, Ryan, if some come our way. But just know that you are all welcome there for a visit, or if the Lord moves you to that part of the country, to put up home. We prayed when we moved here that the Lord would give us a church uh, that would love us as you have so lovingly given yourself to us. He's answered that prayer, and that he would grow in us an affection for a people as he taught we could have for a church here, and he's answered that too. Well, this morning, we come to a passage uh, that introduces to us the doctrine of divine election. Ryan gave me the freedom to choose whatever passage I wanted, and so I chose a passage on election. How about that? It's my one election joke for the morning. This is such an important passage. Um, Romans 9, if you're familiar with it, is a passage on election for the suspicious. Ephesians chapter 1 for those who need to sing of the sovereign grace of God. And here this morning we have a passage from the Apostle Peter to a first century church for strangers called to live godly lives in a godless age. And so this doctrine is for us this morning just the medicine that we need. Let's read together. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 11. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture... Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And this is God's word for us this morning. Well, in pondering this text, a headline caught my attention. Eight-year-old Swedish-American girl pulls pre-Viking era sword from lake. And sometimes you just need to keep reading. So I did. An eight-year-old Swedish-American girl came across an exciting find swimming at her local lake when she pulled an ancient sword from its depths. It's not every day that one steps on a sword in the lake, 
Michael from the museum said. I was outside in the water throwing sticks and stones and stuff to see how far they skip. And then I found some kind of stick. Saga, which is her name, told the local. I picked it up and was going to drop it back in the water, but it had a handle and I saw that it was a little bit pointy and the end was all rusty. I held it in the air and I said, Daddy, I found a sword. At first he thought his daughter had found a stick or a branch, but realized from the way that it was bent that it could be a sword. It's about 85 centimeters long and there's a also preserved wood and metal around it, explained the museum. We're very keen to see the conservation staff do their work and see more of the details of the sword. Anyone hoping to see the sword will have to wait at least a year. It's cool that it will be in a museum, perhaps for a thousand years, Saga said. Well, as we come to this ancient doctrine, many of us may see this word chosen Chosen, chosen, which is repeated through this text and the book, and not believe what we're, we're seeing. Uh, take it to be another stick uh, in the water of the Word of God. I can relate with that. It was 1999 or so. I was at Denny's in Lake St. Louis, Missouri, off I-70. And me and some friends who are newish Christians would meet uh, once a month or so, and each guy would bring a topic and some Bible verses, which is edifying, but also dangerous. But this is what we did. And one week, Micah brought a sheet of paper with five little points on it, and one of them had to do with this doctrine of election. And I remember the questions that I pondered and the solutions that I offered and the scriptures that I searched in the days following. And, and for me, since that time, this, this teaching from the scriptures that Peter is preaching to his readers has gone from stressful and, and strange to sweet. And it's gone from intimidating to intimate. And I pray that it will be that for you. Others of us come to this doctrine and we believe it. We believe that it is an ancient pre-Viking era sword from the ancient scriptures forged in the heart of the eternal God in eternity. And we stick that sword under glass where it is to be studied and talked about and guarded there for thousands of years. So I don't have to tell you, friends, this doctrine does not belong under glass. It belongs in our hands. And it belongs in your hand this morning. We need it, just like the original readers need it. After all, where do Christians in this age get the strength to bear up under the rejection that they can come to know. That may be the rejection of a family member when you convert to Christ, or the rejection of colleagues when they find out what you believe about male and female these days. And the rejection of a neighbor, all kinds of forms it takes. If you don't know it personally, you have a brother or a sister who knows some form. Where do Christians get the strength to bear up under it? Because you're going to need that strength. And you're going to need to point a brother or a sister to that source 
of strength. The source to bear up under that rejection is nothing less than the doctrine of divine election. Oh, there's more that God equips us with, but he equips us with this. The Bible's teaching that God from eternity past has set his affection on his own, chosen in the beloved his son and called them and caused them so that they would come to him in faith. And if you have come to him in faith this morning, you can know that this word is an encouraging word for you. So receive it as such. And it's been Peter's preoccupation in this letter. We see in the very first words of the letter, he addresses his readers. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, then he names their cities, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with his blood. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Elect exiles, and he doesn't give it up until he closes the book. She who's at Babylon, a final greeting, Rome, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. And through the book, he addresses them as exiles, elect exiles. And then in this section right here, we have the repetition of this, this word chosen. God's chosen and precious Christ. His chosen cornerstone. And then you, a chosen, a chosen race. I take it that we need this this morning. I take it that we need to meditate on this. I take it that he gave us these Old Testament verses, which we will get into to some extent, because we need to know this thing is grounded in, in the whole plan of, of God. Peter unsheathed this sword, the right sword for Peter, and he did not put it away until the end of the book. They never really put it away. So let's take it up and let's not, let's not put it away ourselves. Let us now take this ancient doctrine up from the floor of the ancient scriptures forged in the very heart of God. And let's examine its details and let's observe its bend so that we might wield it for one another's sake. When you hear you're a chosen race, what comes to mind? Maybe this doctrine presents a problem and there are questions to explore on a different day and in a different sermon. The question we want to ask of the text is what would the Holy Spirit have us to hear in hearing this word? We may come to the text with questions, but really we want the text to question us and to answer us. This, this for Peter's readers and for us isn't in the first place a, a problem, but an answer, an answer to our hardship and our rejection and an encouraging word. It's no problem, but a, a solution. So we'll take this in three parts. What are we to hear when we hear the word chosen? More than that God has marked us out but that you are precious to him, you are planned for by him, and you are for his praise. I know where I'm at. That is three points that start with P for predestination. So remember that. Three swipes of the ancient sword. Are you ready? Let's get into that first few verses, verses four through five. Friends, you 
are precious. Hear God say that to you in this word, chosen. You are precious. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In college, I learned about dumpster diving. I will admit that I engaged in dumpster diving. It's the work of raccoons and freshmen at Moody Bible Institute at 8, 920 LaSalle Boulevard in Chicago. New Year starts, and if you don't inherit a nice couch or a couch from a senior who graduated, then you might be walking down Chicago or LaSalle, which one on your back. And, uh, you know, I don't know where they throw away their furniture in these high rises, but some things would end up in the dumpster out back. And sometimes you'd find a decent couch, and so you'd take it, take it back to the dorm, and there it probably still, it still is, handed down some 20 years. <laughs> dumpster diving. Well, we, just, we discovered different kinds of trash. And, you know, my mom always said, uh, one person's trash is another person's treasure. You know, she grew up in Michigan. And we're the types of people when you say, hey, that's a nice shirt. I'm like, yeah, I got it uh, for a deal. Um, so, you know, there were garage sailing and, and Craigslisting. And one person's trash is another person's treasure. And as I've grown up, I've grown to learn that plenty of that trash is also trash. It's just some of us have low standards, and so we can call it treasure. And then sometimes people just don't know what they have, right? So you throw something away, and it's, it's a gem. And someone knows what it is, and they, they find it in your garage sale. Well, what is it for us? Which is it for us? What kind of precious are we? How are we precious? Are we inherently precious? Well, we know ourselves to be sinners, those who walked in darkness and were deserving of wrath. The scriptures say as much. You hear this morning, we believe and preach sin so that we can preach grace. But we know ourselves. Scripture helps us to be honest. Are we inherently valuable for all that we are in ourselves? Is it that God just has low personal standards for the company that he intends to keep? forever. How did we get in this? How did we get chosen? Was it like, you know, an application to college where you met certain requirements or wrote that great essay and they thought we want them in our, our school or, or met some type of quota? Or is it like the lottery, uh, impersonal and random? Is it like some type of contest, American Idol, where you're, you're awfully talented and a remarkable person and a real find some of us need to be told that you're not a real find. And some of us don't feel like a real find. And we need to know that we, we can belong to God. And that it's not, it's not on the basis of our talent. Maybe we didn't have a home a month, a week ago, a day ago. Maybe we don't have a home now and we're here this morning. What do we bring? How are we precious? Who are the chosen? Or maybe it's like that headhunter agency in our, in our town called Find Great People. One of our elders is uh, in this uh, headhunting firm and tells the story of how they went through this process of renaming it from you know, some long name 
after the guy who founded it to find great people and, uh, you know, pay the marketers, but I could have done that. It's a great name, FGP. Point is, what do they do? It's that simple. Their job is to find great people, a great match. Well, are we in this? Are we precious to God? Because we are a great match. We have to be careful when we introduce new members at our church. You know, we get to know this person and how they became a Christian, and sometimes it's easy to accent what they do and who they are and this hobby they have, and we've, we've, uh, we've chastised ourselves for emphasizing sometimes the wrong things. No one's a member at our church or this one because they have some type of pedigree. They're really interesting. You all are interesting, but you know what I mean. Come to him. We come through him. We're here because of, because of him. What makes us precious? Well, I'm convinced that this word of comfort that you are chosen and precious will not be a word of comfort until you understand how it is that you are precious to God. Two insights from these first two verses. And the word to you, Christian, you are precious because of the one to whom you have come. Sometimes it's sitting right there. As you come to him, Jesus, who is he? The living stone in the sight of God, chosen and precious. The first place to look and understanding our own preciousness to God is to the son who is precious to God. And we've come to him. Now, there is no coming to God. There is no being accepted by God. There is no being precious to God apart from the Lord Jesus. So as you come to Christ, a living stone in the sight of God, chosen and precious. We think of precious stones, we think of wedding bands, jewels, precious stones. Think of a building in this case. God is not furnishing a dorm for two. He is, he is constructing, he is building a dwelling place for himself and his people. And Eden was a, a very fitting dwelling place. It was decked out, it overflowed with his bounty. And he walked there among humanity and spoke with, with Adam. And east of Eden, oh, there is no appropriate and fitting place where it is even possible for God to dwell with humanity because of our sin. But in grace, he comes to us with a promise. He makes a way, and in the tabernacle in the Old Testament story, that, that traveler's home, mobile, mobile home edition of his dwelling place, he would set up home. He would make home in the neighborhood with God's people, and he would meet with them through sacrifices and a priesthood and, and all of that. The temple was very much better, a gleaming jewel on the hill in Jerusalem, more permanent, much bigger, made of stones. And that's exactly what these readers would have imagined. In that covenant era, the temple, the place of God's presence in this age, they go up to Jerusalem. We've sung about it this morning, going to the house of the Lord. And there he would meet with them in a specific place at specific times through specific sacrifices. 
made of stones, a jewel on the horizon. As you come to him, a living stone. Now, that's an interesting image. What kind of building technology is that? You're working on a building here, excited about that with you. What is that module in the software for the architect? The, uh, the plug-in for living stones. I need some of those over here and, and over here. No, he's speaking, he's speaking of Jesus. He's teaching us something about who Jesus is by reference to the temple in Jerusalem. Those stones, when constructed, forming a place of the presence of God, Jesus, a living stone, way better, is himself the very place of the presence of God. It's why Jesus could cryptically say in John 2:19, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And John says he was talking about his body. They didn't quite get it. Well, Jesus got it and we get it. Jesus, a living stone. And what do we know about that living stone? Rejected by men, not valued not loved or wanted, but put out, set aside, discarded, crucified, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Well, that's the place to begin in seeking to find strength to bear up under rejection as Christians. Now, Christian, you are precious for the one to whom you have come. You've come to him, a living stone. And as you come to him, verse 5 now, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, so we've, we've, we've set our attention on Jesus, and now as you come to him, a living stone, you yourselves are like living stones. Not as you come to Jerusalem, not as you come to a tabernacle, not as you come to a temple, not as you come through the doors of a local church exactly, as you come to the person of Jesus, as we come to the person of Jesus, we are joined to him, the living stone, and are ourselves a spiritual, a spiritual house. Haven't been in Albuquerque for a while and need to find a restaurant or a coffee shop. And so you pull up Google and you can see restaurants. Imagine if there was a button for spiritual houses made of living stones. Do you realize that, that not every building with a cross on it would appear? God's got the map. He knows who are his. But not every building with a cross on it. And, and not... And not every place where we have a spiritual house would we necessarily have a building. This is a spiritual house, the people of God, bought by the blood of Jesus, called by God and made alive by his spirit. I spent a day in part prepping for this morning at Castle Coffee. Familiar with that? And I learned some things about the churches in town. Just overhearing conversation. I heard about um, uh, one big church that's very overwhelming. 
for this person. And so they went now to a small church that's really into the Holy Spirit. Okay, that sounds good. I uh, heard about a church that's really into deliverance prayers. I don't really know what those are, but they're a thing. Uh, I heard about a church that is on the, on the justice and contemplation continuum. So that church is over there on the justice and contemplation side. Uh, I heard about another church that someone would like to go to because it has a, a, a rainbow fence out, out front, and that sounds good to them. It's all, all kinds of churches. And then I, I heard one gentleman talking about the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and, and salvation by grace through faith alone and how this customer could be saved if they put their faith in Jesus and, and how there's a church near where they live called Christ Church and it's not where this barista went to church but he knows Christ Church and so he's pointing them there and he also told them about his church I went to get to know this, this guy, and he grew up at Desert Springs Church. You know some of these people. Now, where the cross is preached, and Jesus is praised, and his saving gospel, and his life, death, and bodily resurrection is, is believed, and where sins are confessed, and our hope is in him, we have ourselves a living building. And that, friends is you and here or over there in the months and the months ahead a living building at the same the same address this is the kind of thing that peter is talking about when he opens his letter and he says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead he starts his letter right there because his readers, just like us, need to hear just that. We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And there is no hope apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And if your hope and your faith is in the Lord Jesus raised from the dead, then, then while you come into the church and become dead to the world, you are alive to God. Unacceptable to the world world, but one who now offers an acceptable sacrifices to God, the God of heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing better than that. That's what we're doing this morning in our sacrifice of praise, giving ourselves wholly to him in song and in, and in life. So we don't look to Israel for this. These, this. This church, and you and I, are called a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen race, a people for his own possession. This is how the scriptures spoke over the nation of Israel. That didn't go so well. Oh, but it goes so much better for us because Jesus has come and he's made us alive. Now, God, in the course of his plan, is seeking a people who will belong to him, will be holy unto him, who will rule for him, who will live forever with him. And he has done that through the Lord Jesus. Through Jesus, he has moved into us and he has moved in with us. There's no having to go to Jerusalem to get near, near God. So friends, you are precious to God for who Christ is to God and for who you are in him as a church. The big claim, very big claim 
for you, maybe the doctrine of election presents um, logical puzzles, and that's for wrestling with at the right time. Responsibility, God's sovereignty. There's another way that this doctrine can create a puzzle in our mind that a sister shared with me just in the last few days. And that is the puzzle of however God could do this and create this out of humans like us. Watch the news. Look into your own heart. We believe the scriptures concerning our sin, holy nation, royal priesthood. This is a lofty description. Humanity as it is supposed to be. Out of this, out of you and me, Fair question. Whatever the puzzle, Peter is determined to convince you that you are precious to God if you're in Christ. So we move now from the first thing you need to hear in that word chosen, you are precious, to the second thing you are planned for. And it's this moment in which we get the blueprints out to check out the plans and investigate and understand what sits underneath and behind and supports this Lofty claim. Three Old Testament quotes. Uh, a bit confusing on first read. I'll try to help us here. My parents' house years ago in, in St. Louis started moving on them. Boats do that. Houses aren't supposed to do that. And so, you know, tore the basement up and peered that foundation to the bedrock underneath. Here, what Peter does with three quotes as though he is throwing down three piers into the bedrock of ancient scripture so to support his claim so that you don't forget it and that you don't doubt it. So the first claim, for it stands, you hear that? There goes down the first pier into bedrock, for it stands in scripture, verse six. Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Behold, I am laying a stone. The accent in this quote is on God's sovereign initiative as we get the blueprints out to figure out who's underneath and behind this and if we can believe it, we see that these plans have the fingerprints of the God who takes the initiative to get all the way to us. He came to Abraham when Abraham wasn't looking for him. And he said, I will, I will, I will. It's not, not, good, not enough good in you to get to God. Well, God came to Abraham when there was no good in him with a promise. The God who says, as we read in Romans, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, Jacob and Esau, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. And in speaking of Israel, the Lord your God in Deuteronomy 7 has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. And lest they think it's impossible for him to do that or think that they deserve it, it was not because you were more in number than any other people, that the Lord set his love on you and shows you, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you. When you come into a new house, or you buy a new house that someone else has lived in, you come into their choices and decisions. Well, the Lord is making a spiritual house to dwell in, and he's making all the decisions. 
He started this whole plan. And the Bible is not a book about the story of how variously great humans woke up one day and decided to pursue God. It is the story of the God who from eternity past has planned full stop to pursue sinful humans who were not looking for him, which is you, Christian, and which is me. Sovereign initiative. This cornerstone he lays, which is precious, is a perfect cornerstone, which means the building will be perfected. He will do it. Well, as we keep a look at these blueprints, we find a second mark of the God underneath this claim that you are, are chosen. We find that this God, this architect and designer and, and builder has a certain preferences in the construction of his, his dwelling. You know, when you build a home and you, you pick out that countertop and that color for the wall and that kind of carpet or flooring, and you've been doing that here. Well, God has preferences. He has a preference for irony in the construction of his, his spiritual house. So the honor is for you who believe. Oh, they need to hear that word honor. They are dishonored. But for those who do not believe, quote, the stone that the builders rejected has become the corner stone. Christ, whom the builders rejected, has become the corner stone. This is a quote from Psalm 118. We read it earlier in our service. Thank you, Drew, for that thoughtful reading. It's, it's helped us prepare for this. Psalm 118, in the context of Israel's return to the land occupied by foreign builders who reject the people, a sure sign of the destruction to come to those who rejected the people of God. Jesus picks this up and intensifies the whole, the whole matter. Matthew 21, you're in Matthew. The master of a house planted a vineyard and leased it to tenants and went into another country and sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the, te the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. And again, Finally, he sent his son, but they said, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Who's he talking about? Oh, he's giving name to the builders who would reject his people. And it's Israel's leader in that day who would send Jesus to be crucified. Who could write this story? So full of irony. Now, God will save through a crucified, that's failure. I consider that failure. Uh, criminality that leads to a crucifixion. Uh, public shaming. That's not the way to heaven. No, it exactly is. And God has designed it just that way. So to the extent that you have trouble and hardship in this life on account of Christ and to the extent that you are exiled in this age, look to Jesus on the cross who is exiled, who is rejected, and know that the cornerstone 
that was rejected by the builders, the stone that was rejected by the builders has become the cornerstone. God sees things differently. And he has plans in all of these uncertainties for us. And that is a great, great comfort. Now, how did we get here precious to God? Well, not because of our homes or our buildings or our, whole, our goodness or our essays that we wrote or our pedigree or how well our kids turned out. Nothing, nothing inverted from that list will keep us. We are here only by the sovereign initiative of God and because our God is a God who loves to save people who don't deserve it. It's you and me. That's a second peer down into the bedrock of Scripture to convince you that you are precious to God if you have come to Jesus. Now, as we keep looking at these blueprints from the Old Testament, God's plan for this building, see a third encouraging word. We see that this God is the superintendent of the whole thing. And a stone of stumbling for a third quote, and a rock of offense this stone is. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. He feels like he needs to clarify why he's put that, that there. Destined to. Why do they stumble? Well, they stumble because they disobey the word, reject the, the Christ of the word. And, and why do they disobey? It says as they were, as they were destined to. And this is a terribly uncomfortable spot. But we just have to say that when it comes to these matters, we fully embrace the sovereignty of God. This word destined here is that word for appointed earlier, that word for laid a stone, what God does, God destined. Some to disobey, apparently. And yet, at the hands of lawless men who set themselves responsibly against the Lord, Jesus was crucified you know, if you want a dog and a cat, but you can only have one, like it doesn't satisfy really to like cut them in half and have half a dog and half a cat, right? So like don't have half of God's sovereignty and half of human responsibility in your Christian life. Fully embrace what is sitting right here on the page. God has given to us a word that we are to come to Jesus in response to the call to believe. So, so believe on Jesus, come to him and believe. And for those who have believed, who have come to him, we have this profoundly encouraging word, comforting word. It's amazing to me, I have to preach it this way, that Peter seems comforted by it, and he, he, he doesn't, he, he's not uncomfortable preaching this. He presumes that his readers will not be thrown by it. In fact, that they will be comforted, that they will be comforted by it. So how can this be a comfort for you? Well, the question for you, any of us this morning, if you feel like you're on the outside of this, isn't am I chosen? He's writing to Christians. The question for you would be the very question that the Lord Jesus would put to you and that Peter would put to you in preaching the gospel is, have you come to him? Repent and believe and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Well, that's on offer to you. You know you're under God's wrath this morning. You sense your need for mercy. You haven't known it. You can know it. Amen. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become a cornerstone. 
And how do you know if you're outside this? If this cross is a stone of stumbling and of a rock of offense for you. Now, oh, this preaching of the gospel is faithful week in, week out here as it is in our church. I give thanks to God for it. Sat under it myself for years and am responsible for it where I'm at. And friends, you and your workplaces are responsible like this brother across town for speaking of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and salvation by grace through faith. What if when comparing notes about churches with other believers in town or just in talking about our church, we made sure that the cross and the resurrection were the first things on our lips? Let us not compare features. Let us compare lords. I give thanks to God for the preaching of the gospel here. And if you have come to Christ, then this is comfort for you. And as you are rejected by others for having come to Christ, be assured that our God has plans and that in his purpose to seek his preference of irony in the construction of his building. Sometimes he is working in ways that are not altogether plain, not least of which to sanctify his people and ready us all for heaven through our hardships on account of Christ. Now, this is a comforting word for us. Now, third, friends, you are for his praise, verses 10 through 9. Oh, we have to know what he's after. Um, we, have, we have laid the cornerstone in this sermon, and it is a perfect cornerstone, Jesus. And the stones have come together even in this room. And under the preaching of the word, we've peered this assurance that we're precious to Christ, to the bedrock of Scripture with Peter's help here. Looking into things that angels and prophets have longed to understand. We've heard it and understood it today. And now... Now we're on the back porch for fireworks. There's no grand finale because they're going to go off forever and they'll only get better forever. Hear them. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are the fireworks. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You're a chosen race. Why? You're a, a royal priesthood. Why? A holy nation to be like him as he's holy. Why? And a people for his own possession. Why? To proclaim his excellencies forever, which are the only excellencies to proclaim once you know them. His excellencies is why we're here, how we're here, and why he's brought us together. And not just to him, but to our neighbors and the nations. As we live as strangers and exiles, upright lives before the Gentiles. So we speak as those who are rejected, and we, we have family talks about what it's like being rejected like Jesus. But we do not live as those who are hiding from that rejection because we love our neighbors. And just as the gospel was preached to us and we were told to come to him and repent and believe and be baptized. So we extend that same offer to our neighbors, just like my new friend at that coffee shop and just like you are doing or will do. And we were blind in darkness and did not seek God. Dead to the world, but he made us alive. We were alienated. Not my people, but we now are his 
people, foreknown, chosen, called by God, caused to be born again so that we would come to him all by the divine sovereign initiative of the God who works in ironic ways to pursue a people who would be precious to him as his son is precious to him forever. You are elect exiles. I have three points. Let's get it down to two. Elect exiles. Two words to capture our experience in this world. Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, just like Jesus, chosen and precious. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that you tell us that we're precious to you and you don't move on to the next topic, but you prove it and establish it and reveal your character that ensures it. And you repeat it and you say it in different ways. And you've given us this gift of prayer so we might talk to you about it and ask you for help to believe it. Father, I pray for this church as I pray for mine back home that we would be churches that know the hope of the resurrection of Jesus whose hope in Jesus is manifested in a lively life of gospel singing and preaching and sharing in our community. And Father, we thank you that as Jesus was precious to you, so we have become precious to you. And we believe this by your word, even though apart from your word, we might not. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.